Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Today, our guests are Mohit Bansal and Ramakant Pasanuru. Um, they are at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, they are uh, they co-authored a paper uh, titled "Reinforced Video Captioning with Intel with Intelment um, Rewards." And uh, the paper is talking about how to improve sequence-to-sequence uh, modeling for video captioning by modifying um, the the objective uh, the objective function. Uh, so, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, what's the objective uh, for doing this work? So, uh, so the reason why we want to uh, do uh, for video caption uh, uh, primarily for video captioning because uh, it's a uh, more a complex task than the present image captioning, and it uh, has a complex uh, temporal and uh, across frame dynamics. So, we chose uh, video captioning uh, as our uh, task. And uh, the reason why we did a reinforcement learning uh, is uh, so the uh, the current uh, ent- cross entropy based um, it, uh, cross entropy based loss function have a problem of exposure bias issue, and also uh, the training is done on uh, word level uh, cross entropy, and it is evaluated on uh, sentence level matching metrics. So these are the two reasons why we uh, we. Uh, moved on from cross entropy loss to reinforcement uh, based policy gradient approach so in uh, so in the policy gradient approach uh, we address uh, we can address these uh, yeah. i think you have a question uh, could you elaborate a little bit on the exposure bias could you explain to the audience uh, why is this a problem so the problem with uh, the exposure bias is uh, currently the uh, so when we are training uh, with the cross entropy loss uh, during training uh, the models are exposed only to training distribution but uh, not its own predictions. But when we are doing inference, we are uh, trying. Uh, we are using uh, its own model predictions. Uh, so, uh, so there is a mismatch between the training and testing. So, so this uh, this uh, effect is called exposure bias, where uh, model is only uh, exposed to training distribution, but not its own predictions. So, this is one issue uh, uh, that uh, can be addressed through reinforcement learning based policy gradients. And uh, the second uh, s- second reason is uh, again uh, we are optimizing the cross entropy loss, uh, but however, uh, finally we are evaluating the performance of our models on evel- uh, automatic evaluation phase matching based metrics like uh, blue score, meteor, cider. So so again there is a mismatch uh, also here uh, where op- the optimization function is. The, river, uh, the final evaluation is on something else and we are optimizing on something else. Right. So basically, uh, in summary, like the uh, point is that if you use something like reinforce uh, policy gradient optimization, then it solves both purposes, right? So it's able to, because you are sampling uh, full captions from the model, uh, you are able, you are basically sampling uh, from the, like the model distribution itself. So it, it helps the exposure bias mismatch. And you are also able to directly optimize sentence level metrics uh, because you sample the whole sentence, then you compute its reward, and then that feeds back as a re- uh, you compute its uh, phrase matching metric uh, at the sentence level, uh, and then that whole uh, metric score feeds back as a reward uh, through policy gradients, right? So this is a very old idea. Obviously, uh, the initial motivation was that this hasn't been done for video captioning at all. Uh, 
because uh, people have tried this very recently for image captioning and then before that also for uh, summarization in 2015 uh, by Ranzato et al. Uh, but then since video captioning is a very uh, perfect kind of sequence to sequence task, right? It needs a lot of sequential information, temporal actions uh, as, com as compared to an image captioning task, which is a single CNN most of the time on the encoder side, uh, right? It's just one frame. Uh, so that was uh, kind of the first, very first step. But I mean, that wasn't really the motivation. The motivation was that even if we do all this, uh, we kind of uh, jumped a step ahead. We said people are using all these phrase matching metrics for rewards. Uh, but the metrics themselves are a big problem. What we are doing is we take this um, uh, sampled caption and then we say, okay, how well does it match with the ground truth caption? Uh, or it could be a summary or an image caption or a video caption. But the problem is that then this matching is used, uh, is calculated using blue or cider or some sort of phrase matching metric. And if you look at the uh, image uh, figure, uh, table, one. table one, I guess, yeah. So if you look at table one in the paper, uh, that's kind of the crux of uh, the paper, right? What we found is, which is very intuitive in hindsight, is that all these metrics uh, allow very kind of crucial or very notorious uh, contradictions and spurious information to creep in, right? Because if you 90% of the phrase matches, they are happy. Uh, so if you look at examples like a man is cutting, uh, I guess a monkey pulls a dog tail, a monkey pulls a woman, the dog is jumping in the snow, the dog is jumping in cucumbers, right? So the left side column is the actual caption, but if you sample, your model's sampled caption is totally wrong in just one word, but a very important contradiction word. The phrase matching metric, CIDR, which is one of the most popular ones right now, uh, uh, because it uses this uh, consensus information between human references, uh, it gets very, very high scores, right? That's based on average CIDRs on this data set and this task. These are way above average CIDR scores. But then we figured that the more important part is to make sure that the match is not just a phrase level bidirectional match, but it has to be a directed match, right? You have to make sure somehow that the match is a directed partial match. If it is a partial match, it has to be a logical match, right? Uh, in the sense that uh, it should not, the ground truth, uh, the sampled caption should not contain extra or contradictory information as compared to the ground truth caption. So that's where the whole motivation of logical entailment came in. That, okay, we can do this or we can capture this by making sure that the sampled caption uh, is logically entailed or is a logical subset of the information contained in the ground truth caption. So it's a less than equal to, which means that it should not uh, just furiously bring in contradictory or extra information. So that's what, like table one is basically summarizing the idea, right? So then if you look at the last column, you can see that we have a very kind of simple, easy way to figure out this contradiction or this uh, mismatch because the CIDR scores are very high. But if you run uh, an entailment classifier uh, between the ground truth as the premise and the sampled caption as the hypothesis, the entailment scores are very, very low for all these uh, cases. And these are not even ground, like I don't think these are cherry picked, right? These no, are, like these this, are this is uh, randomly picked cases where CIDR was very high but entailment can catch this issue that no, wait, this is not a good, <clears throat> this case, this sampled caption should not get a high reward, even if CIDR is high. So that's all we do. Basically, uh, you then correct your CIDR based phrase matching metric uh, using entailment. So you say uh, the reward gets a penalty uh, if entailment is very low. 
and that gives uh, statistically like big jumps on uh, i think all metrics yeah and in uh, i think you also have an evaluation with the human uh, with human oh, right. that shows that, uh, that statistically significant so if you see in the table two, uh, that's our uh, primary uh, result uh, where we uh, we performed our experiments on MSR VTT dataset. Uh, it's uh, it has around seven thousand videos for training and around uh, two thousand five hundred videos for testing. And uh, first, what we did was we uh, we did a simple ba uh, cross entropy based uh, approach uh, with our uh, attention based bidirectional uh, a bidirectional encoder unidirectional LSTM. Uh, uh, model. Uh, then on top of that, uh, uh, then we. So I think that's already uh, yeah. So the third last row in table two is representing a baseline video captioning model uh, with all the kind of standard uh, pieces: uh, bidirectional encoder, uh, unidirectional encoder on video frames, bidirectional decoder. So that's already I think uh, better than or at least equal to most state-of-the-art methods. Yeah. Right. Can we can we pause here for a minute uh, yeah. and back up just just a little bit? I think. Uh, so this is NLP highlights. I imagine a lot of people on this won't have really thought about the problem of video captioning before. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us how these video captioning models even work? Like what what's the end? So you have a basic encoder decoder kind of setup that people have probably seen in machine translation or other kinds of models. But the encoder is pretty different when you have a video. Can you explain what this looks like? Yeah. So for the encoder, uh, we, uh, you can assume that it's a sequence of frames. A video is a sequence of frames, and uh, we uh, uh, we uh, we encode each frame using some uh, each frame using uh, inception uh, or so uh, maybe first you should start all the way from maybe uh, from how we get the frames. Yeah, from the video. So so given a video, uh, we sample uh, the video uh, at three fps. Uh, that is three frames per second. And we take the frames instead of the video. And once so this we is have, the standard approach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Once we have uh, frames, see, we convert these frames into features. So these features can be a ResNet features or Inception features. These are uh, these features are from the image classification world, where they represent image in kind uh, in in terms of a feature. So we represent each frame as a uh, feature. And so these uh, are big CNN, I guess, networks trained yeah. on ImageNet, the uh, vision. Image classification uh, task. Yeah. Okay. So once uh, we have uh, these features, now we can assume that it's a, uh, the video is a sequence of uh, frame level features. So now we model, we give at each time step, uh, we give this uh, frame level representation feature as input, and we encode all the information as a sequence. So this is uh, unidirectional element. Uh, this is a bidirectional. Bidirectional element. And usually, how long these videos tend to be? Uh, these videos are around uh, on an average 12 to 15 seconds. So MSR VTT is longer. Uh, it's MSR VTT is around 15 to 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all video clip datasets. So most of them are like uh, 20, maybe between 15, 10 to 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at like 60 time steps or so. Time steps. Yeah. Exactly. And the ground truth is usually just a sentence. Yeah. The ground truth is uh, the caption. So each, so every clip has a single caption. So, uh, so it, it doesn't have multiple uh, uh, summar uh, summaries of what's happening. But uh, every clip is uh, is uh, clip, uh, attached to a caption, 
which are which is usually a single sentence most of the time so then that's an rnn decoder that's an rnn decoder about attention and uh, then uh, the attention uh, we usually use the badanov's uh, attention mechanism uh, where once we ha- we encode these uh, video features uh, uh, on the encoder side uh, we take the hidden state representations of these uh, encoder and uh, attend at each time step of the decoder when you are generating a uh, next word we uh, attend to the parts of the video yeah so it's a very simple baseline like they, i think uh, in the related section of the paper we mention all kinds of fancy techniques that people have tried i think mostly in the vision community but some in the nlp yeah. where you can have hierarchical encoders right so matt was asking about 60 frames if if, if you are uh, if you are sampling at a smaller rate then you have more frames and you can do a hierarchical encoder like a two level then people have done i think ram mentioned like the temporal versus spatial attention so basically the one attention that we are doing is kind of temporal right basically each word is figuring out which temporal frame uh, to align to uh, or a combination whereas spatial attention is inside the frame so we also tried a little bit of that where you can have two types of attentions temporal attention across frames and spatial attention inside the image of each frame uh, but the but the basic idea is that all of these like you can just do a very simple bidirectional encoder decoder with badanov attention and it's already greater than equal to most of these complex techniques so the baseline just represents a simple uh, reproducible approach how does spatial attention work i the way i understood what you described was that i convert the image net features or the inception features uh, to a vector and i feed that vector into a bilstm haven't i lost spatial information at that point so uh, if uh, so if we are uh, if you are doing it a, a penultimate layer uh, we still uh, we will we still have that whole representation of the information so if so in the image classification world the final layer is about classifying the objects uh, uh, just the objects but if we go a, a la- uh, one layer before that before the penultimate layer this has a the uh, con- uh, concentrated representation of the whole uh, image so right so people take this uh, there are different layers like fc7 fc4 fc6 yeah. so you can look at a layer uh, which still maintains the sub image uh, or super pixel features uh, okay. yeah one other one other question do you do you train the inception model uh, in no. a, in so you're just training the bilstm on top of yeah. all of that okay yeah, i was exactly. i was thinking 70000 sentences doesn't <laughs> seem like a whole lot of supervision to yes, learn this a lot of uh, vision people and uh, that's usually yeah, we don't want that's a big complaint in the <laughs> like a month training usually yeah we just picked the best uh, current like resnet v4 whatever the best version of uh, residual yeah, connection based yeah. tag cnn network uh But anyway, so what I was saying is uh, that's the baseline, and then we have these two steps. If you look at table two, then CIDR RL first of all is the first contribution where all we did was we said, okay, let's do some uh, sequence level training uh, for video captioning because that's never been done before. So all CIDR RL does is uses CIDR metric as a reward, sentence level reward, and feeds that into the reinforce uh, policy gradient method. Uh, okay, where, one, uh, yeah. Sorry, one other question here again. Uh, I had never seen CIDR before I read this paper. Maybe I'm just not up to date yeah. on new metrics. But can you explain this for our audience? Yeah. 
so the uh, so uh, so this is a more uh, image captioning uh, side uh, people use uh, cider more because uh, when you have a lot of references especially in msr vtt dataset we have 20 references for every uh, video and the other data set youtube to take uh, text we have 40 references for every video clip so when you have a lot of references so cider calculates uh, the consensus among the human references so it's much more not only it is based on matching with respect to the uh, ground truth versus uh, uh, generated but also how much among the uh, references how much uh, human are in consensus with uh, among each other so so it's uh, so the number the more the number of references we have the better uh, the cider metric would be so in uh, in a video captioning and image captioning world uh, we have multiple references for each caption or a, uh, each image or a video so we uh, said uh, it is shown that cider is a uh, good metric to evaluate yeah this was by uh, the virginia tech or uh, now i guess georgia tech so the, my colleagues uh, devi and through they did this paper i guess 2014 three four years ago yeah. so it's uh, basically the usual kind of metric paper where they showed that this is much more highly correlated with human evaluation than uh, some other metrics so yeah so based on the idea that you don't just check for matches, but you check which uh, match also has consensus with the multiple Turkers who wrote their different captions. So when you compute blue score, uh, my understanding is that you, uh, if if your uh, if your generated text overlaps with multiple references, uh, it does count for more than just once. Uh, so how is that different from what Cider is doing? So CIDR is uh, something where, uh, so in blue score, we match uh, each uh, reference with the uh, each reference caption with our generated caption. And uh, out of the all the references, we find the maximum blue score that we got. So we are only focused to particular, uh, referen uh, particular reference with respect to the ground rule. In CIDR, uh, if multiple, multiple references are talking about like a man is playing a football, is the often uh, the uh, the reference that is used by many other uh, uh, Turkers uh, in the uh, in uh, in writing the caption, then uh, they give high weight to these words. Uh, yeah, but I think Walid is saying that there are variations of blue that also do this. So maybe uh, we they didn't compare to that. But we should check the cider paper more carefully. Right? Is that what you're saying, Walid? That there are variations of blue where they don't just max over the references, but some over the references. Uh, that's my recollection, but it has it has been a long time since I worked with machine translation. So I, it was more of a question. Uh, we'll, we'll check that again. But it's been a bit of it's been a long time even for us in terms of this paper. It's, uh, but in general, like yeah, I mean, so we can point you to the cider paper, which compares to all kinds of blue and meteor and all other metrics, uh, and it's a well studied kind of uh, and well appreciated metric in the caption community. Yeah, but uh, so any just to finish that previous thought, what all I meant was, and we can go back to the model side. But for the results, I, what I what I was saying is that the first, uh, like the second last row, cider RL is just showing that by just adding a metric level uh, reward uh, in the sequence level training, you can already get like all those result improvements are statistically significant over uh, the baseline. And then you can, the last row is what then you can do better is that, okay, CIDR itself as a reward has a lot of issues. It just looks for phrase matching. It can creep in contradictions and so on. So then when you make it CIDENT RL, which is CIDR plus entailment, uh, which we can define again in a bit, uh, then you get uh, another round of statistical improvements on top of CIDR RL. So it's kind of cascaded. Like CIDR RL is statistically better than the baseline. Uh, 
which is already a state of the art baseline and then sidend is statistically better than cider rl uh, and if we go back to spots and this is true also for human evaluation if you look at table 3 and 4 uh, but yeah if we jump if you think uh, if we think we jumped ahead then we can go back to section 4 uh, page 4 i guess so if you like the sidend formulation is uh, maybe we glossed over it that a little bit so equation 5 is the sidend formulation um yeah and we kept it very simple like maybe ram do you want to explain yeah. so the uh, so we defined this a uh, new sidend uh, which is a combination of cider and entailment score is uh, like uh, we penalize our cider score whenever our entailment score is very low so we uh, so and these uh, so uh, so for example if the entailment score is less than uh, beta uh, intuitively we chose 0.33 as beta value and if it is entailment score is less than that we penalize our uh, cider metric with some constant lambda otherwise uh, we keep uh, the usual cider score so the reason for uh, using this kind of formulation is we don't want to completely deviate from our actual phase matching metric uh, but we indeed want to penalize it whenever it is going wrong or whenever it is deviating uh, from the true. So we, we whenever uh, it is giving a false uh, scores, we correct them by penalizing it uh, using our <coughs> entailment uh, scorer. Right. I guess yeah. So the idea was uh, like Ram said, like we don't we like I guess we did try just entailment and score entailment, as a reward. Yeah. And as you can imagine, in hindsight, that shouldn't work because just entailment as a score is missing a lot of information, right? You still want the reward to be basically about how much does the sample generation match the ground truth caption. But so that's why you have to back off to CIDR, but you want to correct CIDR uh, whenever the entailment is very low. So and, the, and all the alpha beta values are very intuitive, like beta is just 3.33, like Ram said, right? Where because it's a three-way classifier, like we use the standard, I think we use the Google uh, decomposable, uh, decomposable attention uh, entailment classifier. So it's a three-way classifier, right? The SNLI task where it's entailment, contradiction, or neutral. Uh, so beta, like if, if we said entailment probability less than 0.33, that already means that uh, it's guaranteed that uh, this is not an entailment. It's either contradiction or uh, it's neutral. Uh, neutral. And then gamma was also, sorry, uh, lambda yeah. turned out to be very intuitive too. Like you can basically set it to the average value uh, of cider on that task. So you can basically subtract the average amount of uh, cider that you get on that task as the penalty value. So are you arguing that we should also use uh, the augmented uh, the augmented cider or what you call cident uh, as, a, as an evaluation uh, metric in the future whenever we're doing video captioning or are you proposing that we should use it uh, in order to define the reward function yeah that's a great question and we thought of this multiple times uh, and if you see the table we did report it as a metric too uh, like the side end second last column uh, in table two uh, but i think in hindsight we were not comfortable still promoting it as a metric because first of all like you don't really want a metric that relies on a classifier. I mean, I know we sometimes have to because and people have started doing that in many areas. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, it relies on a classifier, right? So there might be all of those issues of adversarial and also in general, if what if you don't have a good entailment classifier for a certain random new domain? 
so so we didn't promote it very highly as a new metric i think uh, it's good uh, definitely as a reward because if you just use vanilla metrics as a reward we showed that they have a lot of issues so definitely correct your rewards uh, using logical uh, constraints uh, as a metric we haven't done the full study of like its correlation with human uh, evaluation and all that uh, so that we shouldn't really claim right now so the this idea of using entailment mm -hmm. uh, to decide whether the caption is good or not seems really good and intuitive um, and it it's not surprising to me that this helps it's a, it's a really nice idea uh, i wonder though at the equation why do you ha why subtract a constant why not subtract something that is proportional in some way to the entailment score itself like the the specifics seem a little bit interesting to me like why why did you choose what you chose? So the, uh, if we want to introduce uh, entailment score in, uh, into our final equation as well, then we have the uh, problem with uh, balancing these metrics. CIDR, uh, so the proportions of CIDR is, uh, ranges from 0 to 10 and uh, entailment score is from 0 to 1. We have to have a proper uh, weight uh, parameter, hyperparameter, which should uh, balance these uh, proportions. So we uh, then we uh, so it's uh, so then we came up with a simple uh, solution uh, penalize uh, the metric in, uh, whenever this constraint is holding. Oh, so you, yeah yeah I guess yeah I we did tried a combination of cider plus some uh, weight comp weight uh, times of entailment as our reward. Yeah, and people have done this for image captioning. I think they had this thing called. Some, I don't remember, but it, like they mixed uh, blue plus cider plus meteor plus rouge. Like they took all the metrics and then they used some weighted combination of these as a reward. And I think it was a Google paper uh, two years back. Yeah. And it seemed very painful, uh, like in terms of how to learn the weights for how to mix those rewards because each reward is not, uh, sorry, each metric is not just a different scale, but the improvement in each metric is also of a different scale. So, like, just learning how to balance those weighted weights in the weighted combination uh, is usually very kind of uh, either uh, unstable or you'll have to keep changing it for every task uh, or even every data set. Uh, so then we came back to this thing where let's just keep CIDR as the original reward, but we'll just penalize it. And luckily, it seemed like uh, using the penalty equal to the average CIDR value uh, just worked with some light tuning. Uh, that being said, I think one important point that might be related to your question is to learn the lambda itself, right? And this is something that we are partially doing because of the baseline estimator, right? So in our reward, uh, there's always a baseline estimator. Uh, this is also way back from uh, several uh, reinforced base papers. So there's this whole area uh, called actor-critic networks, right? Where uh, basically if you look at equation 14, but it's called the baseline estimator, which is something very common when you're doing reinforced style uh, policy gradient where you add this minus uh, B term uh, or BT depending on the time step uh, to basically act as a baseline estimator or as, to reduce uh, instability, right? So all like the critic is trying to make sure that it also it learns a better reward value and it's able to normalize the reward uh, and it's also able to fire a reward only when uh, the uh, the reward, the uh, reward will help make the model better than the current test time model itself, right? So there's a whole chain of papers on actor-critic networks, uh, and this kind of uh, feeds into your question, Matt, where if we are learning that beta itself, uh, the B value, sorry, 
that's kind of uh, affecting uh, the reward overall reward function so in some sense it's trying to learn the penalty also indirectly so we are like that's some follow up work that we are doing currently where we are trying to see if we can learn that lambda the penalty directly uh, interesting data itself I, I guess what i was wondering was that um, the way that you have the equation constructed, it introduces some sharp discontinuities in your reward surface, right? Because at, once you cross a threshold in the entailment classifier's probability, you drop by a constant no matter what. You, you could imagine scaling, like using the same lambda as you computed it, but scaling it by the entailment confidence, for instance, so it's a smoother reward surface. Does this make a difference? Like, I, I'm certain it would if you use, like, a gradient, uh, like, more probabilistic methods to do this learning, but maybe it doesn't matter as much if you're doing reinforcement learning. I'm, I'm not familiar with uh, yeah. this as much. You tried something like directly subtracting the entailment value or... Entailment value. Yeah, so, yeah. We, we had, yeah, I mean, trust, I mean, like, this was, scaling, we had a lot of, we, uh, we had a lot of scaling uh, discussion, like, basically, uh, not even just scaling, but also, like, uh, this whole concept of abrupt changes in the reward function. We had like multiple discussions on this because that's why in the beginning, we, when we were just using entailment directly as a reward, that was also very abrupt, right? We had this threshold, I think, on whenever entailment is lower, we would use. Uh, when, whenever entailment is, uh, when uh, what we did was, uh, whenever our entailment is very low, then uh, we also considered some kind of adding entailment to our final iteration. Right, yeah. yeah, we should send you all our previous versions of what, <laughs> like one of these versions was similar to what you're saying, where if entailment is lower than a very, uh, like 0.33 or something, then the penalty was based, smooth, right, smooth. so then the penalty is based on entailment, uh, because we thought, yeah, we don't want these abrupt jumps uh, in the reward function, but end of the day, this simpler version seemed to work the best. That's interesting. So we, yeah, we should probably uh, do follow-up, more follow-up on this. So another point I wanted to uh, highlight, I mean, it's not terribly surprising, but I think it's it's good to emphasize here that um, when you add this um, reward function that's based on CIDR uh, or CIDENT, you get uh, relatively large improvements uh, in these two metrics. Uh, but you don't, you also get a little bit of improvement in the other metrics, but not as much. And I was wondering, so that's kind of uh, expected, right? Because that's what you're optimizing for. But um, I'm curious to know if, uh, because it seems from uh, some parts of the paper, uh, it seems like you tried also using the other metrics uh, for to define the reward function. And I was curious to know if that made a bigger difference for the other uh, for the other metrics. Yeah. So so we did try for other metrics as well. Uh, for example, uh, we tried uh, with blue. Uh, blue score uh, has our reward and on top of that we added uh, entailment uh, to it we called it blue end uh, but uh, the thing uh, is, the, uh, the thing we observed was uh, when we add cider as our reward we are seeing improvements in cider <coughs> as well as other metrics and as well as on human evaluation but when we moved uh, to blue reward uh, uh, blue score was improving, but overall the other metrics are very low, and as well as human evaluation is also very low. So, so yeah, and actually, to first uh, maybe before we go into blue, like what uh, Walid said about cider. So actually, cider is giving improvements on all the metrics. So you shouldn't uh, look at the scale of the improvement because that's what I was actually getting at earlier. Cider improvements are at a much bigger scale usually. So to get statistical significance in CIDR, you need around, I think, 4 to 5% jump, 
whereas to get say statistical significance in blue you need around one person so all those results if you look at cider are like the last two rows of table 2 uh, adding entailment uh, all all the jumps are statistically significant by p is i think all of them are p less all than 0.01 yeah so for cider rl uh, apart from uh, the matrix score all of them are statistically significant p less than 0.001 uh, right. for uh, so first uh, adding cider itself gives i think p less than 0.01 on like so if you compare the third last and the second last row so cross entropy versus cider rl and then cider rl versus cident rl is also statistically significant on all but the scales of improvements vary a lot depending on what metric you're okay. looking at yeah. uh, which is why we were, like the whole point of why we can't really use a uh, weighted combination weighted of combination. the rewards as a metric uh, as a reward uh, and uh, then yeah and then like the blue thing what happened is that uh, blue itself like ram was saying uh, using blue as a reward itself uh, was not able to uh, show human evaluation improvements so like forget blue end like even without any entailment idea uh, just yeah, using blue itself as a reward in video captioning uh, was not a good fit so that's what kind of we mention in section 6.3 uh, so since uh because we can always play the game where if you add a metric as a reward then that metric improves and we were not interested in that right because like valid said that's obvious uh so when we added blue as a reward we got blue improvements but then we said okay this might just be because we are using it as a reward so let's check human evaluation so human evaluation showed that blue as a reward itself is not better than no reward so then we didn't even try blue end because blue end uh, like is to fix blue but blue itself doesn't work as a reward for video captioning so it might be specific to the task of video captioning uh but i think even in image captioning papers people yeah. prefer cider cider they showed that cider uh, improves right. performance across all other metrics when cider is used as reward than other metrics okay yeah and then we tried some other metrics like spice yeah. which is some new graph based metric right metric, yeah. which also doesn't show human evaluation yeah. and gave very long uh, sentences so any metric that uh, as a baseline itself was not being useful as a reward we didn't try to correct it using entailment because i mean the there's no point right because the metric itself is not a good fit for the task so that's so, why we cider because cider was not just playing the game of like improving itself because you are using it as a reward it actually improves statistically like big margins all metrics and then adding entailment to it again gives further statistical improvement so uh i remember the the introduction of the meteor metric and one of its goals was to handle paraphrase kinds of issues a little bit yeah like synonyms and so yeah. and that seems like a very similar thing at least in the examples that you showed to what you're doing with this entailment metric does does this comparison make sense like you in your examples for where you get high cider scores but low entailment is where you get a man is cutting the meat versus a man is cutting meat into potato maybe the better example is right below it a dog is jumping in the snow a dog is jumping in cucumbers so something that looks at whether snow and cucumbers are paraphrases should handle roughly the same kind of thing i think it's right? the opposite effect right yeah, so it can uh, look it can handle things where it should get credit but blue is not giving it credit but these are cases where it should not get credit but uh, meteor will still have a high score right the rest so, of the phrase exactly matching. because the rest of the phrase will still match so i think that's the important logical uh, like the directionality distinction that 
uh, it will still not be able to handle contradiction cases, which is what we enter. So it will be better at paraphrasing. It will give credit when it deserves credit, but it will give credit when it also doesn't deserve credit. So, so it, logical so, directed constraint. So if we modified Meteor to more strongly penalize things that are not paraphrases, would we get roughly the same kind of benefit? Yeah, so we tried Meteor and I think what was it's, it? It's uh, too slow. It's, uh, it's too slow, yeah. So Ram doesn't I like Meteor because uh, <laughs> it's the slowest possible metric calculation, okay. uh, which makes sense because as soon as you introduce uh, dictionaries and tables and synonym lookup to something, uh, whereas if you want to use anything as a reward in such setups, the metric calculation has to be extremely fast. Otherwise, like I think using Meteor as a reward can take like 10 times more uh, time as an experiment than using blue or cider. But what about the entailment? You're running an entailment classifier on two sentences. Is that also slow? No, 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 no that is pretty fast. I don't. I think it changed our experiment time by what, 20%? Yeah, it's pretty fast. Like one hour versus one hour, 10 minutes. Uh, decomposure attention mechanism is very Yeah, so I yeah. guess the trick is that it, we used a very simple model like the Google Ankur Parikh model. Uh, but I mean, you can use, uh, there's even faster ones, I guess. Uh, we had a very simple model recently in the shared task, the MNLI shared task on just stacked encoders with max cooling. Uh, yeah, the reason that I ask, asked particularly about paraphrases is because that model is known, like it, it only looks at word comparisons. That's, that's all it can do, literally. And so basically you're getting paraphrase information as a proxy for entailment. Right. And, and so it's interesting. So, okay, my last question here is, um, do you think this would help for machine translation or other kinds of sequence generation tasks? So, like machine translation is also trained typically on cross-entropy or optimizing blue in some kind of policy gradient dish thing. Um, would adding an entailment thing help here, do you think? Yeah, sure, I, I mean, think, yeah. So when I was giving this talk at Johns Hopkins, I think uh, since, as you know, they have a lot of uh, MT people, uh, they, I think there was definitely interest in trying this in MT. We have, we've been trying this on summarization with good results, right? And hopefully a paper coming up soon. Uh, so in summarization, uh, this does help. Like it has the same issue, right? So generated summaries have spurious contradictory information, which Rooge and other phrase matching metrics can't catch. Uh, but if you ensure that uh, the generated summary has to be a logical, uh, logically directed uh, entailment of the ground truth summary and of the document, uh, then this helps uh, strongly. But uh, machine translation, yeah, I guess we just, since we are not MT people, we are, yeah, we are definitely up for uh, like talking to MT people and collaborating and, and like sharing stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the same issues hold. I mean, in, in, in some sense, um, uh, it might be slightly different because machine translation is more constrained. You, you're going from text to text and you, it's very different from image or video to text uh, where there's a lot of extra information in the video or also from document to summary where there's a lot of extra information in the document uh, where logical entailment is then even more uh, important. But machine translation is a little bit, uh, like not a little bit, it's a pretty different task in terms of the input and the output are exactly the same semantic content and meaning. Uh, in different languages, uh, so it might things might play slightly differently, but we haven't explored that yet. Except the entailment only operates on the output of the decoder and on the ground truth output, so it seems like it should be just as applicable yeah, there. Part, yeah. if you, if you, so in summarization, we are looking at both entailment with the input document and with the ground truth summary, 
uh, but yeah if you are uh, if you are sticking to entailment between ground truth output and generated output then i think it should still be able to correct some of these bugs where the uh, generated translation uh, spuriously adds some extra or contradictory information that blue is not able to catch but in the machine translation community has there already been a lot of uh, like metric level reward uh, models like yeah. i don't I, I think so, but I don't follow that work. Um, yeah, same, very same much. issue here. We don't follow, but we should follow it. Uh, I, this actually just made me think a lot more. An another connection. So there, there's this work. Uh, originally, at least the first place I saw it was in image uh, classification, but we also recently saw it in a language modeling paper where uh, you change, you modify your loss function to include a similarity between the word embedding of the target output word and the actual output word, mm -hmm. like your output distribution, does, does, does this make sense? So, um, like, you, you don't penalize producing cat, like, if your target is dog, you don't penalize cat as much as you as you penalize the, for instance. Oh, okay, nice. And you could, like, be, because, again, your entailment model is really looking at paraphrase information and word substitution, you could imagine that a modified loss function that um, just uses word similarity and penalizes it if there's, if there's very strong negative similarity in some sense, mm -hmm. uh, you, you'd get much the same kind of information. Yeah, so I think one of the follow-ups we are doing uh, is related in the sense that we are trying to also combine uh, paraphrase with entailment information because we still feel it's complementary, especially given the current paraphrase models. Uh, we uh, did a lot of work on paraphrase detection uh, when I was at ETI, uh, and from what I recollect, uh, paraphrase models are still pretty uh, uh, kind of uh, there's still issues in terms of detecting negations or things that almost look like paraphrases but have extra or contradictory information. So I think these are complementary. Like we have a we are trying a new loss function where it's both looking at bi-directional entailment, like entailment uh, logical checks in both directions, and uh, mixing paraphrase checks with it. Because uh, not not because if if if, it was, if this was all perfect, then it, they would not be complementary. But given the current state of the art paraphrasing models and entailment models, they do capture uh, complementary uh, different information. Uh, because there's been studies where paraphrase models are still uh, not able to detect subtle kind of insertions or deletions or negations, right? Uh, at least back when I checked uh, look last. So there's still uh, complementary information there. Right. And then another issue uh, that might be important here, uh, I, I guess maybe we are out of time, but uh, one other important thing uh, here is uh, the uh, point on what was, I guess I forgot what I was saying. Oh yeah, the mixer versus uh, mixed RL thing was also important in the paper. I think we have yeah. it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you can just. So so initially we tried with the mixer approach uh, that was uh, ICLR 2016 paper and So then uh, the problem with the mixer approach uh, was uh, when we have no constraint when when we have no constraint on the language model side, uh, these metrics can be uh, these metrics can game to. Uh, improve the uh, the reward that uh, it is optimizing so when we checked the output examples uh, even the scores are pretty uh, good 
when we check the examples some of them are gra uh, grammatically incorrect or not uh, that uh, good uh, readability wise they are not good so then we uh, we used uh, the mixed loss uh, where uh, we have both losses uh, reinforcement loss and mixed loss uh, reinforcement loss and cross entropy loss both together where this cross entropy loss uh, will uh, try to keep the language uh, structure uh, uh, still uh, correct uh, while improving the metric uh, through the reinforcement loss. Yeah, so this is an important maybe last note for people trying to do uh, sequence level training. Like it's uh, a little bit tricky to get it to work where you do, like you can, like the model might start gaming the thing where it's just trying to choose and uh, delete words that keep the metric happy. Uh, I mean, if you, if you set a very high bar that you'll only be happy if all your metrics improve statistically, then you won't have this issue. But if, uh, uh, but in general, in your uh, initial experiments, you'll see that if you just use the RL loss, then it can just learn to delete and add words such that that particular metric that you are using as the reward gets better. Uh, but then if you use ML plus RL with a weighted combination in the loss, uh, like the, the uh, cross entropy loss and the RL loss, then it makes sure that you're also keeping fluency and uh, the language model happy. Uh, that, that's, and then I guess, Ram, you started with ML cross entropy loss and then kind of, uh, yeah, really annealed it to ML plus that R. That is a mixer kind of approach, okay. but yeah. Yeah, so and there's some annealing involved where you start with ML cross entropy to be in the good uh, part of the search space, and then you anneal towards ML plus RL. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that this uh, that you had this effect, given that uh, with the reinforced formulation, the two loss functions are not actually very different. They're just like a scaled uh, version of like the you know when when you're talking about the uh, the cross entropy, uh, all the gradients are kind of multiplied by one, but when you add uh, the RL uh, loss, um, you're kind of weighting every sentence by the reward you get for it. Uh, so they're not very different, but maybe the, maybe what we're what we're getting here is a smoothing effect for the rewards because maybe the rewards are very rough at the beginning and they don't make much sense. Right. So if you directly have RL loss in the beginning, then I don't. It will not, never even converge. Uh, so basically, the ML loss makes sure that you're in the right part of the space uh, with the cross-entropy uh, predictions. And then you also don't jump from full ML to full RL. You have to keep ML plus RL uh, with some specific weight in between them. That's interesting. Yeah, in general, I feel like I'm, I'm excited that uh, we can get uh, this level of, uh, of performance for video captioning. Uh, it's yeah. A few years ago, I would I would imagine this to be like a sci-fi thing. <laughs> yeah, it's we were actually I think uh, given our ACL like multitask uh, papers improvements and this one, we released a demo at NIPS, uh, which we should hopefully make public soon. Uh, we just need a free GPU to keep it alive all the time. <laughs> but but basically, when we were playing with this demo, like I was joking with uh, Ram and the undergrad uh, who works on this Han. That, are you sure like this is not from like accidentally from the training data or something like the examples he was showing me because he set up the demo such that you can click on any YouTube link randomly and it will uh, and it's very fast like parallelly processed frames uh, I think in like three seconds or two seconds it can generate a nice caption for any random clip and we have this interactive length approach where you can keep generating longer and longer captions for subsequent clips uh, by using redundancy checks that you only add a caption sentence if it's very different from all previous sentences that are generated. So all of this like uh, was very interesting and surprising to me too. Like I felt like uh, maybe uh, like 
uh, video captioning has crossed a certain threshold of uh, uh, goodness in terms of actually being useful, hopefully pretty soon. All right, thank you very much for joining us for this uh, recording and uh, for inviting us. It was fun. Thank you.